I'm wearing my camp shirt today. I wear this shirt maybe two or three times a year only because it's like, there's like pine trees on it. Uh, and so I only wear this a few times a year. I wore it once at uh, senior high camp just a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to wear it again this coming week. And I, I wore it because, you know, at camp, you know, one of the things uh, that we both, we kind of dread uh, as leaders uh, up there working with students and working with people, one of the things that we actually dread, but we have to do, are the icebreakers. Um, you know those icebreakers where you have to kind of get to know everybody? It's something that you don't really ever like to do, uh, but it's kind of something you have to do. Uh, because eventually what you want to do is create a scenario where you start to get to know one another uh, and you can have some actual connection uh, with people because eventually that's how there will be some authentic ministry, some real connection moments. But that doesn't happen unless you don't have uh, the icebreaker moment where you get to know each other's name or find something embarrassing about another person. And I think if you're familiar with the icebreaker or other team working or team making scenarios, you're probably familiar with one uh, that uh, is not that fun. But do, are you guys here familiar with the trust fall? You guys are familiar with the trust fall where you kind of put your back up against a group of people, you shut your eyes and you just kind of hope that trust that they're going to catch you if you fall back. So you are, it looks like most everybody is familiar. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos. One of my favorites is where they go like this, uh, and, th and they're supposed to say, all right, fall. And then they fall forward, and there's no one in front of them to catch them. And that's one of my favorite ones. And, you know, it's funny. I think that this trust fall thing, you know, even though it's part of the umbrella of icebreakers and, and bringing a team together, not one of my favorite thing, things in the world, I think that the trust fall, you know, has a lot of room for us each uh, to practice, even with God himself. And I know that that seems kind of counterintuitive, because if I were to fall here, I pro I'm sure none of you think that I would, the Holy Spirit would kind of lift me up all of a sudden. I don't think that's what you will see, but I do think there is a way of being able to participate in a trust fall with God, and we're going to talk about that today. You see, this series, Encounter God, has been something that we've been going over for almost two months now. And we've been talking about trying these various and different ways on how we can grow closer to God. Uh, we've been emphasizing the necessity of maintenance, of trying to work on faith. Not something that we just put on a shelf and, 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 and hope continues to go well. Uh, but it's something that we need to regularly and routinely check to make sure things are going fine. Of course, we've talked about how there's a lot of different ways that we can encounter God rather than the same old habits or disciplines that we're used to. Now, I'm not talking about abandoning those disciplines like having a time of devotion uh, or, or having a, a time of Bible reading. Uh, I'm not talking about abandoning those things. But what I am talking about uh, is how there are various and different exercises different kinds of spiritual disciplines that we can just try, not necessarily devote ourselves to, but at least try here or there to maybe grow in our connection to God. And so in the past number of weeks, we've talked about stillness, right? And just being still, and, and in that language was specifically to just go dumb before God. Not something I've practiced a lot in my life. Well, some might argue I've gone dumb. But I've been talking about just practicing stillness and being quiet. We've talked about that. We've talked about how kneeling, how our physical posture 
can make us feel differently in our time of prayer or in our time of devotion. We've talked about Jacob and how he wrestled with God, how, you know, it's okay to attack head-on some of the doubts that we might have in faith, right? Because sometimes there are questions that we don't have the answers to. And I'm saying that we can grow closer to God by taking those questions head-on and speaking directly to them. Uh, we've talked about worshiping. Obviously, worship is a, a great way to feel close to God. But even that is something that we need to grow in intentionally by being at a worship service or, or, or being intentional about the state of worship that we're in. Uh, and then we also talked about serving God and how for some reason when we work for others and we glorify God through it, that we can feel closer to him. And a lot of people have stumbled across that truth. Now this week, I'm gonna talk about a different exercise. I'm gonna talk about how, how does one have a trust fall with God, okay? How do we have this trust fall? I'm gonna start by reading it for us a familiar story in Genesis chapter four, verse one through five. Now Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also uh, brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. You know, Cain and Abel soon learned that by giving offering to God, you know, giving something back to him. And I think this is interesting because between the Cain and Abel story here, there has, as far as we know, there has not been this institution of offering yet, right? There wasn't Mosaic law yet. There wasn't, this is Genesis 4. Only a, a little bit of time has passed on through scripture as far as we know, and they're already giving offering to God. And so there aren't rules necessarily, but they bring something back to God and God is pleased by it. And I think one, that we know this already, but it's to see the first institution of offering and giving something back to God. Cain and Abel does this. And they found out also that apparently the quality or more likely the heart of the offering mattered to God. So it wasn't just, oh, I, I can give you something. Here you go. Uh, I'll give you what's left over or what I've got. Apparently, God makes a difference. He says, oh, I'm more pleased with Abel's than I am with Cain's. Again, this is interesting because we haven't seen rules set forth yet. Okay? And so it's, it almost seems unfair. Why would God show favor? It's like Cain didn't know that yet. But Cain is going to get angry about this. He became jealous of the favor that Abel was given that he received from God because of his choice offering. Cain's jealousy leads to rage and then to murder and then to lies. I think most of us are familiar with that story. The truth is most humanity, most of us, we often have that same difficulty relating to God in this way, in this offering and giving the choice givings. You know, I've heard an old joke. I, I don't know if this is something you've ever heard. 
uh, the last thing baptized about a person is his wallet. Have you ever heard that one? Like the whole thing goes underwater, but then the wallet stays out because that doesn't get transformed as much. You see, in some of the other practices that I had talked earlier in worship, uh, in prayer, devotion, stillness, wrestling with God, yep, all of them are different exercises that we can deploy to encounter God. Those are great things, good things that we should write down and exercise and try. Another thing that these things have in common, that those disciplines have in common, is that they're free. Those are really easy to just get into, right? They're pretty much free. I mean, others, other than maybe a little bit of time, those exercises are pretty free. There aren't really stakes involved with those ways of encountering God. Those other disciplines, they're pretty free and pretty easy to try. And really, if it's not something that works out, no big deal, right? You didn't really invest anything, nothing to have lost. If you didn't get to worship, that's all right, I'm going to go next week. If I didn't have a time of devotion because it got interrupted by some chores or things that I need to do at home, that's okay because I can get to it the next day. And so we don't really lose anything in those other disciplines, do we? Not much cost associated with those ones. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to giving sacrificially, like apparently God is pleased by, by giving choice offering, well, that, that's a different story. That actually costs something. There's actually something costly when we pull out the wallet part, right? That actually can hit home. That can actually make a difference to us. And I think that if we see this exercise of the blue bowl or giving or being generous with finance to people and for people, I think there, this is where we can have an actual trust fall with God, right? I can't exactly fall back because no one's going to dare to catch me. But I can actually have this trust ball, trust fall if I exercise this giving, this generosity, this choice offering to God. You know, uh, in fact, I think this is, um, I want to read a scripture for you out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. And I think here is where it'll come a little bit more clear how the relation of trust fall uh, and giving to God as an chance encounter with him. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12, I'm going to read this here. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal uh, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is making note through the prophet Malachi here. Mind you, the last book of the Old Testament. Because after Malachi here, we're going to see a 400-year spread between Old Testament and the New Testament. And so when, Jesus, or when God is speaking to the decrees that, we've, that the Israelites have ignored, this is all of OT history. So he is saying, you've, you've turned away from me. You've ignored me. You withhold from me. You're robbing me because of the covenant that they have made. He reminds his people of their failure to remember the agreement, the treaty with God. He says, you are under a curse because you are robbing me. Then God does something really interesting here. In one of the only places you'll see in scripture, because in most other scripture we're told not to do this, God says what? He says, test me in this. Test me in this. Only place in scripture where God says, go ahead, bring it on. Test me in this. Because anywhere else, when it comes to that, God is not forgiving, not merciful. He says, do not test the Lord. But in this, test me and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. He is testing. He says, test me in this. And he, says, he shows what the promise will be. Our offering, this is important for us to be able to understand this because it can be really tricky in reading this Malachi selection. Our offering is not a fee for God's protection. I want to underline that and make sure that you know that. Our offering is not some sort of payment. It's not sort of protection money. It is not a fee for God's blessedness, for his protection over us. I know in this passage, it can sound like that, right? You're robbing me. If you give me what you're supposed to give me, I'll protect you and I'll bless you. That's not what's going on here. In fact, we know this because he continues to say that he is going to repay more than the value that is given to God, right? How, does, how is this a fee? How is this transactionary, right? If I'm going to give you $10 and you give me back 100 that's not how, that's not some kind of fee. That's not how protection money works. How is it a fee if I give you something and I end up with more? It's not as if God has some sort of cosmic wallet <laughs> or cosmic ledger where he's keeping track to make sure that you paid in. Instead, what I am hearing God say when he says, test me in this, what I am hearing him say is this, fall back. Go ahead, fall back. Risk something. Trust me. I'll catch you. In the trust fall, if you never fall back, if you never give in to that exercise, if you never take a risk, then you'll never have the satisfaction of being able to trust the person who is catching you. Apparently, if you're willing to fall back, if you're willing to try that, there is so much to be gained. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. 
he is saying, please fall back. Risk. Here's that blue ball. Risk something. This one, of all the disciplines, this is not a free one. A faith that is willing to give sacrificially and put their financial cares into God's hands has a lot of potential for growth, a lot of potential for encountering God. Because this is the scariest one. Paying in. We want to keep to ourselves. And so if encountering God, trying to develop faith, putting yourself in moments where you can feel closer to God, if this is one that you want to try, even though it's costly, here's a few things that I think you should try. First is this one. It's a really easy one. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Test God in this. Fall backwards. Give out of discomfort. There are several views on offering and tithes when it comes to Scripture, the tithes and offerings. Now, still, there are some, and I don't blame anybody, still some adhere to a tithe command, although it's associated more with Mosaic law. You following me? For Moses' law, they created a tithe there. And so some people still adhere, by, adhere to that, meaning, I think, that we aren't necessarily held each of us. We're not necessarily held to that standard, but Reggie, I think that it's a good guideline because the heart, my heart, your heart, the human heart is really tricky when it comes to being selfish, isn't it? It is really hard to decipher sometimes what sacrifice means when it comes to the human heart. Reggie is a tricky son of a gun when I cut a piece of pizza in half and I, mm, that one looks a little bit bigger. Oh, there's more toppings on this one. It's really hard sometimes. Reggie, selfishness gets in the way. And so I think that this guideline still plays a role, even though we belong to a new covenant, and that used to belong to a Moses, Mosaic covenant. Remember the Israelites in the desert when they were wandering for 40 years, and they were eating what? They had the manna this God-given bread, and they were told not to store it. Even though God was providing them everything that they needed, they still felt the need, this human, selfish, sinful need, to hoard what they had so that they'd feel secure in the next day's provision, which is super weird because God, every day for 40 years, was giving them manna. So why do they keep wanting to save it when you know for sure the next day he's going to give you more manna? And still they would try to save it. This hasn't changed in people. We, humans, we still hoard and save, which, don't get me wrong, I admit and understand that's wise. We are also called to be good stewards of what we are blessed with. It is wise, but we must be aware and careful. So here's some really tricky wording, so follow me here. We must be aware and careful that we aren't building security in ourselves because we don't have faith that God will come through for us when it comes to a loss of job or finance. It's okay to save. I get it. But if you're saving because you're not sure God's going to show up, if you're not sure that there's going to be manna the next day, there might be something in your heart that we need to talk a little bit more about. So saving in and of itself is okay. But, because we are supposed to be good stewards, but if you're saving because you're not sure God's going to take care of you, that's different. That's a different story. 
because the heart, unfortunately, can be really tricky, and it can be hard to tell the difference between wisdom, okay? It can be really hard to tell the difference between wisdom and saving and saving in fear. You catch that? There's a big difference with being wise and using that money well versus saving because of fear, because you're not sure how God is going to take care of you. Personally, I believe that that 10% left over from the Mosaic law, even though we live in the new covenant with Jesus, I believe that's a great guideline. It's a great guideline. And so you can take that 10%, you can adjust it, dial it down, dial it up if you want to, but I think it was a guideline, a good way, a good measuring stick for us to stick to. I think that 10%, I don't know about you, it leaves a little bit of room for some sting. It leaves a little bit room for some falling back. Because the stinging, the falling back, that's the point. It's not as if Jesus needs, God needs to keep this money, right? If you give some out of abundance and you don't have to think twice about it, are you maybe not feeling the falling back? Are you not creating room for faith growth or possibility of encounter with God? Imagine, again, if I, don't give out of a, if I don't give out of discomfort and I'm not worried about this thing, it's almost like doing a trust fall like this. Okay, that was good. You get it? If I only fall back a little bit where it's not too big a deal, well, no love lost, no problem. That's what it's like to give out of abundance where maybe it doesn't sting. You know, I remember a few years ago uh, in small group, Scott Lemke, he shared a story about his neighbors down the street. Do you guys, anybody remember the story? About how he had some neighbors uh, who tried not to keep a savings account. They tried really hard to actually live on a manna kind of faith kind of life, which is so dangerous to me. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not throwing myself into a trust fall. But here's this, remember the story was that his neighbors who didn't keep that kind of savings, who tried to give away as much as they could, they had a refrigerator break. And all of a sudden, like, well, that's kind of a big expense. How are you supposed to replace that if you don't think ahead being wise? And what happened for them was someone in their faith life, in their church, in their group, blessed them with a refrigerator, and they were taken care of. And for them, how big a God sighting was that? How cool for them. How, how much did they worship and praise? Like, thank you, God, for being able to provide this for us. How, what an awesome moment of, for encounter because they lived by faith. They lived in hope that their congregation, their body of faith would take care of them. Me and Miriam, when we moved into our new home, we just bought a refrigerator. I don't remember praising God and doing huge God sighting because we bought a refrigerator. We didn't because we were able to do that out of abundance. But we have a family on the other side who's able to take that and see the God sighting for what it was. You leave room to encounter God when you kind of do this huge trust fall. Another thing that I think we can do other than giving sacrificially is this one. Look outwards to other causes. I'm not saying, this is not a blue bowl challenge. That's not what LF is trying to do. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that finances are hurting. They are not. We're doing well. I'm not saying that that blue bowl needs to be filled more. Unless you're convicted to give more here, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. We can put another three minutes on if you want. 
But I also want to challenge you guys to simply just look outwards. Look outwards. I know that there are many here who belong to a school of thought, you know, when it comes to offering and it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. I know there's a lot of people here who I am inspired by who says, I'm not sure if generosity doesn't begin after 10%. There are some people here who I know who are convicted to say 10%, that's what I owe, that's what I give. They might feel convicted by scriptures like Malachi that say, I don't want to rob God of that. Even though it's Old Testament, I want to give my 10%. And they don't see generosity until after. I'm really inspired by that because that's a lot of giving. Again, in the state of the world, selfish human being, I kind of want to hoard those things to myself. But I do know some people who live like that. That's awesome. And they look outwards. I mean, who here hasn't been to some sort of KTIS outing or some sort of Christian concert, right, where they share the compassion child stories, where we haven't been compelled, inspired, moved to go up and grab one of those. That's a great way to look outwards. That's a great way to uh, look outwards, see other causes, and give sacrificially. I know for me, for example, um, one of my passions is Pioneer Even Christian Assembly. I'm wearing my camp shirt. And so we get to share and give financially to a place that matters a lot to me because I was transformed there. That's where I first saw Miriam. That's where I learned ropes of ministry. That's where I learned how to work hard. That's where, so, so it was something that was important to me. It's somewhere that I give now. I think that we each, not that this is simply and solely a blue bowl challenge, but I think that looking outwards to others gives opportunity for sacrificial giving. And again, an chance encounter with God, growing closer to him. A third thing I wanted to share with you is give intentionally. When it comes to giving, give intentionally. And what do I mean by that? What I, what I mean is pray over your gift. If it is a blue bowl, if it is a check, if it is something that you're writing or giving, if it's cash out of your pocket, pray over your gift. Thank God before that you get to do that and thank him after that. Please, I think this is something that I don't want you to simply exercise just to encounter God. I think this is the appropriate way to give. Don't give as an afterthought. Make it a part of your worship. I know Miriam and I are super guilty of saying, oh, we better grab the checkbook on our way out. Oh, I don't know where the checkbook is. Well, fine, we'll just do it next week. If giving is a part of the worship, how, 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 would, you criti how would you criticize if Jeff and I just said, Oh, is worship in 10 minutes? Let's just pick a few songs and get to it. And, and we didn't treat it with the kind of respect that it's due. Please, don't rob respect of our giving. It's a sacrificial part. It's a big part of worship. And so be really intentional about the giving. Don't just forget the checkbook, you know. Um, I know, in fact, I might get some criticism here. I think we've had conversations before about automatic there are some churches who just have automatic withdrawals from their accounts straight to their church, which is great because then the church can budget and it can be really intentional about how it builds the kingdom of God. That's really great. But, and I'm not sure how those organizations do it. Maybe they do this. I would tell them, yeah, but then you kind of lose that value. You kind of lose the intentionality of giving. Unless you're able to remember it and you see in your account, oh, this was taken back. Hey, honey, let's get together. Let's pray about this thing. You know, I, I think that there's a, so much to be gained about intentional giving. I'm not even talking about the amount more or less. I'm just saying, please pray over the cash. Pray over your check. Know what you're giving it for. 
Because what you're giving it for is not for the growth of our little church. We're giving it because you are called to give, because you are compelled to give. We try to do good things with the money to build the kingdom of God, but that's not your concern. Your concern is simply to give because you are called to give. Does that make sense to you guys? We're not here to build LF. We're here to build the kingdom. And that's why today was kind of this really awesome, appropriate timing when it comes to IJM, right? We are looking outward in that moment to try and give sacrificially, and we're being intentional by showing it to you. Sorry. God says in Malachi that he is being robbed. But it's funny because it's not as if God needs anything. His nature is actually quite the opposite. God doesn't need anything from us. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 25, it says there, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everyone else. We are not robbing God. We're robbing ourselves of being in a covenant, being in this holy, blessed state with God when we won't trust fall, when we won't fall back on him. The giving is to our benefit. The giving is our skin in the game. You know, there's this weird marketing phenomenon uh, where you find that if something is free, people are less interested in it. Have you, did you know that? When something is free, people seem to be less interested in it. But if you give even just a low amount, say $5 a month or $5 for this thing, then actually there's a little bit more interest in it because, huh, there must be some value, and then we will engage further about this service or product. But for some reason, if it's free, then we're not as interested. We're skeptical. Giving is our skin in the game our investment, our opportunity to feel closer to God, not because he needs it, not because God needs to pads his wallet, not because the church needs to grow, but because it's our opportunity to grow closer to him. The truth is Jesus Christ already paid it all. It's not like we're paying for a ticket to heaven. It's not like we're paying for more grace. He's already paid it all. Our giving is for our own sake. And so again, just a few challenging things that you might want to walk away with. One, give sacrificially. Maybe look at what your amount is. This is between you and God. Reggie's not saying, but when it comes to a starting point, apparently 10% was this mosaic law starting point. So you might want to look at that. I think also you should look outwards, not just our blue bowl, not just life fellowship, but look to the ministries around you. Look even to the people and the neighbors around us, right, who are so desperate for help. Look to them as a way to grow closer to God and give financially. And then thirdly, give intentionally. Please don't let your check or your money to be an afterthought, but seriously pray over it. Even your kids, when they've got uh, the pennies and the nickels and the quarters that Raymond really loves counting in the blue ball, even if it's that, pray over it with your kids because then you start to build into them a purposeful, intentional giving culture that hopefully grows with them. So be intentional about your giving. All right, with that, I'm going to offer a word of prayer, and then we're going to have another six-minute blue bowl <laughs> time, all right? <laughs> Heavenly Father, man, I, I am really thankful that you, Lord, 
you know, that, that you don't hold cost uh, as any kind of measure of, of, of salvation. That we, Lord, do not have to give a certain amount. Uh, that, we, that we don't have to be faithful to a, a special kind of giving to be able to receive the benefits of your grace and, and your blessing. I do pray, Lord, that we each would see the wisdom that you've built into us in giving. Uh, not, Lord, because we need to build anything here, not that you live in temples made by men, um, but because it gives us this opportunity to grow closer to you, to throw ourselves into your arms so that we have chance to feel your blessing. Uh, God, I pray that uh, this isn't a challenge that would remain outside of our regular spiritual disciplines. Instead, that we would take this, grasp it, and that we'd absorb uh, this discipline into our hearts as a regular pattern of sacrificial, intentional, and outward giving. Uh, Father, uh, we recognize, of course, that above all things in blessing is your son, Jesus Christ, who did pay it all, who took care of the cost, who defines grace in such a way that there is no bill. Thank you, Lord, that you don't hold that cost against us. I pray that out of our compulsion, uh, out of our desire to bless, to be blessed by you, that you would take this, this uh, discipline of giving seriously. I pray these things in your holy son's name. Amen.